Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the In Our Bodies podcast. This is your host, Henry. Did you miss me? It has been a little bit. But hey, who says that we need to run on any normative ableist timeline, right? Well, the capitalist overlords tell us we need to, but we will rebel. So if you're new here, what are you doing listening to the 10th episode first? Just joking. If you're new here, In Our Bodies as a podcast is made by and for people of color who identify as disabled, chronically ill, and or neurodivergent. Welcome, welcome. So this episode is going to be a little bit different from the rest, being that the guest this week is actually me. Surprise! Um, My wonderful friend and previous guest, George Lubon, has agreed to have a conversation with me. So I could take this opportunity to let you guys know a little bit more about me and what's been going on in my life. That sounds fun, right? Um, It's also a way for me to celebrate making it to my 10th episode. That's right, guys, 10 whole episodes. It's been a journey and I'm proud of myself. Okay, pals, you know the drill. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I will see you at the other side. Great. So um, I guess starting with the question you you often start with, which is how are you feeling in your body today? Mm, how am I feeling in my body today? Um, I've just been horizontal all day, actually. Before this, I've mostly just been in my bed because um, I will talk about it more later, but I'm in a new space right now and I'm like I only in my room I only have like a desk chair and my bed and I find it really hard like I have I don't know I just like lie down a lot and I feel infinitely guilty about it all the time Mm. but yeah I feel guilty about it because it's kind of like I have when I have free time, it's like, oh, I have so many things that I want to do in my life. And then I get really overwhelmed. And then I try to plan, I try to like write lists of like plan some stuff. Mm. And then I do some of them. But even if I do some of them, like if there's nothing else to do, it's just really hard for me to just be like, oh, I'm gonna, it's okay to lie down or whatever. Yeah, that can be really tricky to sort of make space for rest and like the to-do list of of things. I think because I also live, I don't know, un- I guess unconventionally just in the fact that I don't work nine to five right mm-hmm. now, that I feel like the time that I have free, I have to still be outputting at the same like expectation as people who do work nine to five or Mm. or whatever so like I feel like I don't deserve to rest and I know I know I know as a person that is an advocate and that like makes this podcast but you know we all get caught in it right yeah and it's it's why you're an advocate because you know I mean I assume it's part of the reason why you're totally um uh so speaking of this this podcast so mm-hmm. we are flipping the script this time you are mm-hmm. the person interviewed mm-hmm. um why why choose to do it this way around because um so originally when I started this podcast I gave myself a goal of making it to at least 10 episodes I'm definitely a person who has a lot of ideas and quits at a lot of things because things get really overwhelming and then I also just my mind bounces around a lot and I wanted to set a goal of being like okay at least do 10 Hmm. and like just like just like an arbitrary goal and this is the 10th episode but I actually haven't never really talked about I, I definitely share a bit when other guests are on, but I've never really talked about why I'm making this or, um, yeah, like why, why I'm making this or who I am, really. Yeah. So I wanted to use 
this 10th episode as a way to, I don't know, be a little brave and like talk about myself a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm going to just flip that right back to you. Why are you making this? Um, so I didn't have any real knowledge about like disability politics or disability culture language until I moved to London in um when did I move to London like 20 2017 2018 mm. and like met some really cool queer disabled people who just really introduced me to like a lot of events that were happening and a lot of the language and a lot of the culture and for the first time I was able to well really bond with people that like like also like had eczema and obviously had other mental or physical disabilities that were different from mine mm-hmm. and was able to have language to love myself and advocate for myself Mm. uh like in a way that I never never had I just always felt lazy always like never unpacked these ideas of what my experiences coming in and out of doctor's offices all my life was like and it was it was really, really amazing. And I ended up writing my dissertation. I was in London because I was doing a master's and I ended up writing my dissertation on the connection between, um, or like the beginnings of capitalism and kind of like the discrimination of disabled people or like the creation of this class of people and how we kind of treat disabled people to this day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. What are you going to say? No, I was just say that's right. I didn't realize that that had been your your dissertation. What was the like perspective? Was it like sociology or like economics or what, what was it? I well, it was like my degree was supposed to be in art and politics, but I just ended up doing like a, almost like purely political dissertation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so after I finished my degree, I I didn't know what I was going to I didn't know how to continue to con- contribute to like the disabled community. I didn't mm-hmm. know and I wanted to continue learning and expanding and making friends and having these conversations. So I thought a way to do that would be to make this podcast because I think that archiving these conversations are important. I think that there is something about the ritual of saying, hey, we're recording this that makes the story automatically um, validated in a way that I think is important. And specifically, I um, it's like a like disabled POC podcast because while I was doing this dissertation, obviously there is a huge overlap between like racism and disability Mm. and kind of the way in which disability gets treated specifically for people of color, specifically for indigenous and black people. Like Mm. there's there's such a higher rates of like incarceration or like something specifically that I wrote about was like this school to prison pipeline for like black and indigenous people specific like what I wrote about was in the U.S. but it was very applicable to like all of the kind of like former colony places like Australia Canada UK as well so like I think that obviously disability is a great topic to talk about for everyone but very like there is that kind of intersection between race and disability is why I wanted to make it specifically for like make this podcast in our bodies for this kind of section because also if you still look around like not that there's anything wrong with like white disabled advocates but like there isn't that much room for like POCs or not that that isn't that much room but like I don't see it as much right yeah so like why not make it no that makes sense and there's lots of overlapping stereotypes I think that 
maybe you had a look at in your dissertation like being lazy it's both a stereotype for black people and for mm-hmm. disabled people mm-hmm. like yeah no you're right there is um something to be explored there with with disabled pocs mm-hmm. um so you kind of you said that you wanted to sort of i guess have recordings of these conversations as i guess almost a, a method of validation and to sort of like continue just learning from from other disabled people mm-hmm. can you talk more about like what kinds of things you've learned from these conversations whether you've been able to like incorporate any of those things into like the way you think about yourself mm. um well I think that uh I didn't there's like s- certain disabilities that I really didn't know about until I spoke to like you or when, and when I spoke to Iman I didn't know about POTS I didn't know about EDS like mm. and I think that it's just really good to know and expand my knowledge of how people's bodies works and how people's day-to-day work right mm. but also like how I'm, I'm I am learning about rest from <laughs> from everyone and how oh but also how like people are so innovative there is there's whole like instagram accounts dedicated to certain kind of how what would be the right word like adaptive technology or like just to make things more accessible and like disabled people are freaking inventors and innovators because they have to freaking solve problems right like how do you open a jar like how do you button buttons if you have like certain mobility issues or like open doors if like if I was watching another video on um how if somebody's in a wheelchair sometimes closing a door behind them is difficult depending on where the placement of the handle is Mm. and kind of using like a pop socket you have on your phone and placing it on a certain spot on the door makes it easier and that's all fucking super amazing and super fucking valuable right like we invent all day every day totally and like you know disabled people are valuable regardless but like it is very true that like we like we're the ones that are not thought about in society so we actually have to be the ones that are doing it so actually like you know we're very innovative mm. yeah um I don't want to put you on the spot here so I feel free to say I haven't thought of anything but can you think of anything that like like I guess that's that you've had to create for yourself in terms of access to just general life mm. I think that mine is a lot to do with communication. Mm-hmm. I think that in the last year, I've unpacked more about, I'm still quite unclear, but I'm in the last year, I'm listening to more podcasts on kind of like autism spectrum and like mm-hmm. things about OCD and things about ADHD. and. I am real like I don't I don't know what is up with me but like I get I get I'm starting to realize that my brain it works I'm more neurodivergent than I thought maybe that's like the the better way to say it I don't know I don't know what the what the way is to say it but like I'll kind of and because of that and because of like my certain like neuroses or stuff like I think I just try to communicate as clear as possible. Mm. And I think that it's something that I feel really proud of because I get complimented on that a lot. And I think that that actually also just makes my life a lot easier because actually I'm quite, I'm quite nervous as a person, but like I've kind of figured out, okay, what am I nervous about? And how do I communicate this clearly? Like, or what are the other people's objectives in that way Mm. to just kind of, lessen my own neuroses and to just make things as clear as possible or 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 even like being but also like I think like being more fearless of just being very open about what my boundaries are in that way 
I think that's really cool. And I think that's part of the reason that you've done such a great job with this podcast because because you're able to like look at your own self and your own head and say hey like this these are the things that I'm feeling or these are the things that I might need and you're able to put those out in the world I feel like it helps other people communicate the same things so I think it really like feeds in I hope so when you're like interviewing people and things yeah Yeah. I do I think I've done this with you as well like I um so just speaking, if I could share, like there's, or like behind the scenes stuff for podcasts, I always like prep questions with people because I all I don't I don't ever want to be speaking to people about stuff they don't want to speak about. Like that's not what this is about. It's also not about like mining for any kind of interesting inspire. Like it, it's none of that, right? Like it's I've told people don't be worried about if you're not perfect in kind of the scientific definitions uh or even if you have a diagnosis like any any of those things right like however mm. you feel like you want to be arriving is 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 an, and however you feel comfortable is just how that's that's the most important for me yeah and I think that um I, d- I don't know if I did this with you but like I also did the thing about like grounding yeah you did I really I really like that I was thinking about that for today and i wondered whether there would be a grounding practice for you mm, maybe we will so for listeners like what i am referring to is that i th- i think for most of my guests beforehand i'll kind of or beforehand or right after when we kind of like pause the interview i'll be like hey so i acknowledge that you just spent a lot of energy being very vulnerable and opening up and mm. I know I I offer this because sometimes I also do this to my own detriment. I'll just kind of like be wide open, talk, 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 talk. And then I'll leave a conversation. I'm just so spent and raw and have no idea how, like what to do with myself. Yeah. So I offer kind of like ways to breathe with my guests or just ways to consciously be like hey you did this expending of your emotions and your feelings and advocating for yourself in this space and that's good and let's close that door and then Mm -hmm. you can that's okay and then we can leave you can leave this conversation if you want to think about the things you want to think about that's okay but if you don't like you can leave them in this space in here and then like I think it's really important. It's something that I like learned in therapy because there's, I'm, I'm pretty sure I told you there was this one time I, my therapist p- prompted me to like go somewhere about something. And I was that, I don't think maybe I was ready for. And then the session ended and then I was just left like, Oh my God. Like I have a whole week to just be open, raw and vulnerable. Something that I did not expect to have to think about. And then I told her and she was like, okay, let's be more conscious of that, about where your boundaries are and how to kind of close a conversation when we leave the room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, so we, we, we have talked a lot about like how I suppose your disability has affected your, your communication. Um, yeah. You're an artist. Um, do you want to talk sort of, more about how that extends into your your art practice yeah um how does it extend into my art practice I always kind of felt insecure about the I'm I'm currently speaking about the way I draw I've always felt kind of insecure about the fact that like I I, I just I just kind of free flow and I draw and I don't plan and all of my drawings are quite abstract or they have been for a long time now mm-hmm. and I realize that or that it's that my drawings are part of like my comfort practice it's like part of something that I do when I'm low or when I'm anxious or it's like uh I don't know I don't know how to explain it but like I'm realizing that it's connecting to kind of this like neurodivergence vibes as well I don't have a lot of vocabulary for 
um, kind of like how I'm neurodivergent, but mm-hmm. I find that like planning a drawing is very hard. And it's not something sometimes what I'm interested in, though I think that, you know, planning something and following through is something I want to practice more. Mm. But I do think that like, yeah, my squiggly drawings and like just kind of like on the fly is part of, uh, yeah, a soothing practice that I that I have that I didn't really connect to being neurodivergent but I'm slowly realizing that it probably has something to do with that yeah I think in particular if you're finding planning to be difficult or something that you don't enjoy I imagine it's quite freeing to have a task where you get to create something with no plan whatsoever just sort of let yourself Mm -hmm. make things yeah I try to I think that I think that maybe part of being quite self-reflective also means that I'm quite critical Mm. or maybe, I don't know, I was thinking about, it's kind of like, I think I'm very aware of how other people do things and how other people think or how other people like go about art. And maybe I've also done this because it keeps me safe, right? Like if I understand the motivations of other people, then I know how to navigate other people. Hmm. But like, I think recently I've also thought about, it's kind of like, okay, what's the line of doing that and also being empathetic or whatever, but how do I do that? And then not get so carried away and still just like preserve my own self-worth and not like just hyper focus on the fact that like oh other people do it that way and you don't do it that way yeah you know yeah I think that's the beautiful thing about abstract right like it's not supposed to look like anything so you can't possibly um judge it for what it's supposed to look like Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I like that yeah um have you heard of the the term stimming I wonder if that piece of neuro. Um, yeah, but would you would you explain it for our audience yes. for people that don't know what stimming is? Sure. So stimming is essentially something that you do for the sensory input, and by that I mean like, for example, if you're the kind of person that fidgets with your hands as a way to calm yourself, that would be a stim. So you're getting like touch feedback. Mm. Might other stims might include things like doodling mm. something to do with your hand something to do with your your mind that's perhaps repetitive um and, and comforting in some kind of way um some people stim with noises um like mm. humming yourself can be a stim so you get like a little bit of auditory like sound um just something sound wise that's repetitive and, and comforting um body rocking um, that kind of thing. So lots of people who are autistic or who have ADHD will have different stims that help them self-regulate um, and feel comforted in a, a, lots of different environments. Mm. Um, so to some people, drawing like that is a stim, um, is a way to sort of ground or to, you know, get, I suppose, visual sensory input and, as well as like I know lots of artists, including myself, are very particular about like the tools they use, like the mm-hmm. kind of pencil or the kind of paintbrush, and it's because it's that sensory experience, right? Mm. Like, um, so if it's a stim, you might become like even more particular. Uh, but anyway, I'm talking a lot about. Good, you should. <laughs> have you ever considered whether your own artistic practice could be a stim? I think that's probably the word I was looking for. <laughs> ding 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 we got we got a winner um yeah probably I I started drawing in this style and for people who are curious about it maybe on my Instagram or something I'll post uh, a photo and make sure I try to do some like um, visual descriptions about it Hmm. um I started drawing in this style I think when I was 22, I drew kind of more realistic stuff before. And for some reason, I started drawing these squiggly lines and something clicked. And I have, I'm, I'm turning 30 in 
nine days. And um, I've almost exclusively drawn in this style. And I used to do it very, very obsessively. Like I would go to work, get off work, go to a bar by myself, get drunk and draw. Like I would want to draw all the time in this way. And it's just very, very comforting for me. And I was very obsessed with it for a long time. And I'm not as much. And it was like, when I, when it kind of left me, or was not as big a part of my life, it was hard, because it was such a comfort to me to have. And it was like, almost something that people knew me for, and it was part of my identity. And I was like, Oh, if I don't have this anymore, like, what am I doing? Yeah. But um, yeah, I can do a hard relate to that. I felt felt that way when I played less piano. It's like such a part of identity that it's like, oh, what am I yeah. without this thing? What is your relationship with piano now? Like, or what um, was it and what is it now? Uh, I've been playing as far back as, well, I can vaguely remember before piano. I started when I was like six. So I've been mm. playing a really long time. Um, but it's coming in and out depending on whether I live in a place where I can have a piano. Right. Um, so when I went to uni, I didn't have one and I wasn't studying music and I felt so at odds with myself. It felt like I'd left half of myself behind. Mm. Um, but yes, so that that for me, I suppose, might be an analogue to, mm. to your drawing. Yeah. Um, I realised we've been talking um, about you as a disabled person, but we haven't really spoken that much about your your actual disability oh. and and its impacts in your life outside mm. of your artistic practice and obviously mm. the, the purpose of you doing this podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, sort of your eczema and uh, perhaps I, I know that you've been sort of more recently trying to look into Western medicine to try and mm -hmm. understand your eczema. Do you want to talk a bit about that process? Totally. So I still like I'll kind of go in and out of using the word disabled because sometimes when I'm more um, functioning in line with like ableist standards I feel I don't want to say I'm rethinking the ideas of saying high functioning because I think maybe that in itself is kind of ableist hmm. um, I was also things you learn from Instagram but yeah so I don't want to say high functioning but yeah in kind of in line with what kind of you know ableist society sees as normal blah 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 right hmm. I find it I almost feel guilty for using that term or taking out that space That's really, um, I would I'm, I'm gonna ask you more about that in, in a minute Go yeah ahead. please um but so kind of my history is I uh pretty much have had eczema my entire life I've had it since I was three like it extremely extremely severely probably uh for how long probably at least until I was in my early 20s on and off mm. um yeah like one of the first episodes or actually two episodes uh, I was speaking to people who went to university with me and kind of had through them because I also just have really, really terrible memory, probably mm -hmm. have something to do with like really high pain situations and stuff. But like mm -hmm. they have shared memories with me about remembering when I've had really, really bad times. But yeah, so like quite severely and quite uh, yeah, quite, quite severely for a while. And then I think it was kind of okay for my mid a cup for a couple years in my twenties. And then when I moved to Berlin, I had I currently live in Berlin and I moved here about three almost three years ago. But the first year and a half, uh, it just got really bad again and it was really scary because I was in a new country and just every time it gets really bad. I get really, really scared because it's kind of like, I'm not, I don't have any kind of like formal disability diagnosis with um, doctors mm. because I don't think people take eczema very seriously 
in general, and also because I've moved around in different countries, um, it's hard to kind of start that process. Like I haven't lived, I haven't stayed put in anywhere enough to like trust doctors. Not that I really trust doctors in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's really not that easy to get um, a disability diagnosis in general or to have kind of like the social benefits from that, especially I don't think that I really don't think the medical community either regards like eczema as like a serious thing oftentimes either so um yeah so I think that's the main one that has kind of been yeah like I have eczema it's kind of the thing that I knew but I also think that like I have a a lot of chronic pain and I'm just really unpacking things about what goes on in my brain um certain kind of like obsessive thinking patterns and definitely really think that I have ADHD um possibly amongst other things that I just I don't know I just I'm finding a lot of resources uh for people with OCD and for people with autistic really helpful like I'm not sure if I have that or not but Mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot about uh navigating society through a lot of those resources and I feel really thankful to people who are speaking about it and making stuff like that um but for the other part of that question about like very recently or in the beginning of this year slash end of last year I was like okay I'm finally kind of emotionally ready to go to a Western doctor again. Like, what the fuck is going on with me? I want to go and see, like, fuck dermatologists, but I want to go see um, an immunologist because apparently eczema is an autoimmune disease, which kind of Mm -hmm. means that I have an overactive immune system that attacks itself or attacks my own body or whatever, right? Um, I went to my family doctor. I got bounced around to the wrong. I I accidentally, they accidentally referred me to an infections doctor. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Um, But they, the infection doctor uh, ended up running a very comprehensive blood test. They're like, well, while you're here, we might as well just test some stuff out. Shout out to socialized medicine in Germany that somebody just did that for me for free. You know, I'm sure that that definitely doesn't happen in the U.S. That you just you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'm curious about like what the hell is happening in my blood work. But I uh, got to do that, which is freaking amazing. And just by chance, um, because I right before that was my family doctor told me I was anemic and started taking iron pills uh this uh doctor was like oh have you been tested for thalassemia and I was like I have no idea what that is and Mm -hmm. then she was like oh well we'll put that in one of the tests as well Mm -hmm. so um long story short through kind of uh, the journey of trying to find answers for my eczema I found out that I have something called thalassemia Mm-hmm. it is not it could be a very severe thing if it's like thalassemia major I have it as a minor what it means is that like I my body breaks down my red blood cells too fast mm. so like people who are anemic just kind of don't produce enough iron I actually produce enough iron but like my body just breaks it down too fast and they're quite they're quite different And, um, so through this journey of trying to understand more about my eczema, I got put on iron pills and realized that I had this thing and, um, my energy levels actually have been very different since. Mm. And yeah, it was very, it was really, really amazing because they, they asked me when they found, when I found out that I had, uh, when they thought I had was anemic they're like oh are you like tired sometimes I was like no I don't think so but I was like what is what is my standard right like yeah right I laugh because it's such a story with people with like long-term 
health anything that impacts fatigue you just don't realize you're supposed to have energy sometimes no you just you realize you're supposed to do school full-time and like work nine to five and like still deal with all of this shit and you do because I've had this since I was a kid right like I've had also just like what choice is that (laughs) no literally so that's why I was like no I don't think so I think my energy is fine and then I started taking iron more regularly and I'm like oh what this is what people and I'm I'm still I still kind of burn out and like I still don't think that I have energy like certain people that are I still don't think that I could you know do quote unquote normal life stuff and not be completely burnt out but it has changed my energy levels and it's been amazing because amazing I wow I was like whoa this is what people like fuck people for me calling me lazy like fuck that oh my gosh they just they do not know what's happening fuck them I mean I think that's also why it's so important to for people just to like cut this whole idea of lazy out because you just don't know you don't know whether somebody has thalassemia and you know you how are you ever supposed to know why somebody doesn't have the energy to do things you can't so don't be an asshole yeah um, yeah guys don't be an asshole <laughs> if you take anything from today it's uh don't be an asshole yeah 100 percent. but you know what's also wild so like um my so I told my mom that I had this and she's like oh yeah I have it too but like she has only known it in uh Chinese mm. and Apparently, also my sister has it, but they're like fine. They don't find that they need to take iron, or for them, they find that their energy levels are okay without it. But they're like, oh yeah, we both have this. Like I, like my sister got pregnant and had to get her partner. Like because if two people have thalassemia, that it could be quite detrimental for your child and stuff like that. But otherwise. We both, I think we all have it in like the minor way. It's called like either thalassemia major or minor, and we all have it in minor or beta, whatever it's called. And I was like, what the fuck, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is this, I'm wondering, like, is this a POC thing? Because there are stuff in my family along the same lines where it's like, you realize that was something we should have, you know, looked into with the doctor or like actually explored so that I, yeah. I, is that is, is it a POC thing? Maybe. Families Maybe. cultures that have mistrusted the, I guess, mainstream medical systems. Anyway, just... Yeah, I don't know. I think that... I think that also maybe people from... Or, like, people from our parents' generation just don't have that idea to think about that. Yeah. It's just, like, it does it doesn't click in that way. Yeah, maybe it's like the the push through mindset kind of thing. Yes, and so I guess to conclude that I went on a bit of a journey, found out about that, but then I also was referred to like um, the university doctors here took forever, couldn't get an appointment, and then I did go to a. I, I was like, oh, maybe thalassemia has something to do with um, my eczema. I kind of went to. A blood doctor um, to maybe see if that could be possible mm. and then they kind of ruled that out and then I would have had to like gone back to my um, family doctor to then go to an immunologist which obviously all is fine and good but I just haven't done it and you know that is so fair enough navigating the medical system and then referral after referral after referral it's it, it can be really exhausting um, totally and I told my parents that and they're like why aren't you doing it like it's the most important thing and like I get it it is like your health is very important it's mm-hmm. your body it is what is keeping you alive and all of this stuff right but like I think that I'm so exhausted in hearing that like my eczema has to come before everything else and that it defines me in that way that like I don't know it it is it is really important but like a lot of things have been going on in my life 
um, in the last freaking five months. And I just was like, I can't do it. It also is like, I'm sure you can relate, like going to doctors and thinking about, it's kind of like you have to carry like a certain amount of hope or expectation management. Yeah. And then there's always the chance that they're going to gaslight you. And so you have to go into like emotionally prepared for you to share the hardest parts of your life for them to, for them to be like, nah. Yeah. Right. Nah. Nah. So yes, I, I, yeah, I can relate. And actually you, I really appreciated when you, when we spoke um, on your podcast for the first time and we were talking about this whole concept of like needing to take a break from being self carry about your condition and I hadn't really thought about it that way before and so I, I always really appreciated you bringing that up when we when we spoke because it it lets me be kinder to myself when I'm like I know this thing is going to be good for me but I yeah. do not have the energy um to right. to do it right um, I wanted to just sort of prod back at something you just said you said you've been having some really big changes in your life Mm -hmm. at the moment um would you like to share anything about that and sort of like how it looks with um chronic illness yeah so I um was in a partnership for how long I think for almost almost four years and we recently decided that we were no longer going to be primary partners we were polyamorous or I guess still are polyamorous I don't really know we're like where we are right now is quite like unknown but we were living together Hmm. so um I've had to recently move out and it's I don't know there's just I never used to think that um my skin was that connected to like anxiety and my emotions I know people used to say that a lot and I was like really sat with myself and I was like "Mm, don't really relate Mm. but um I think through this experience of kind of like the leading up to us needing to make this decision and us making this decision decision has really proven that maybe people have a point because my skin was quite bad for a while. Mm. Um, and kind of what made me click into needing to have a change in my relationship as well was that I actually have a cousin who has eczema. And I specifically remember that she said that she broke up with someone and her parts of her eczema that were really, really bad. And she didn't know why went away. Mm. Like she she was going through like these weird flare ups that like just weren't like happening to her beforehand and all of this. And I was like thinking about my skin. I was like, ah, fuck. Like, I think, I think the two might be connected. Mm. And I am, as I've moved out, I think my skin does feel better. But you know, I never can know for sure because I also was taking a different, like even just a different brand of, I take um, omega-3 pills and I find that it really, really helps for my eczema while I'm in Berlin. I was taking a different brand and this it's kind of coincided with me kind of going back to the brand that I used to take. So like, is it emotional? Is it the fact that I'm just like simply taking like the the brand that actually works for me for the the supplements that actually work for me like is it just the environment like it's it's so hard to tell like that's the thing with chronic illness that nobody ever really I feel like speaks about enough that like it's so hard to know what your triggers are because your whole life is happening Mm -hmm. you can't isolate anything you can't isolate a you know a change in relationship from a change in your feels from a change in where you're living um how are you supposed to know anyway uh yeah I can I empathize with that and Um, beyond that it's like your body is also just itself aging and changing right like you're also 
working with time and time will just continuously change your body. So what worked for you before might not work for you again, right? Like, yeah. And it's just a complete guessing game all the time. But I think in terms of relationship, that's kind of how I've been, how it's been changing. But also, I don't know, it was quite scary to, um, decide to like be on my own again Hmm. because in a lot of ways my partner has been so generous and so amazing and so loving and has made it like living with him meant that like we got to split chores in a way that would make sense for my body even simple things like oh I don't do the dishes because it like flares up the eczema on my hands and now I have to do dishes or like I was like, I've never really been good at doing laundry and what if it piles up and if the laundry piles up and, or like, I don't wash my bed sheets enough, then like my eczema might flare up, but I might not have enough energy to do my laundry. Like those are things I didn't have to think about because I was in a partnership Yeah. or like I could always rely on someone if I was having a really low day, then like somebody else was around. It was like certain caretake, like caretaking things that like I felt like so grateful to have had while we were together but you know it's not something for me it was like okay I can't that can't be a reason to stay living together right but it's definitely something to be like worried about because those are the logistics of my life right yeah for sure yeah I I suppose it goes back to that thing about uh the inventiveness of disabled and and chronically ill people like I have full faith that you will find a way to to do those things because it's it is it is the way of of disabled people ah I hope so um I actually that reminds me I wanted to sort of maybe like prod a little bit about your feeling not disabled enough for the Mm. late sometimes because it does it reminds me a little bit of that that whole concept of not feeling queer enough um that a lot of people have do you want to talk a little bit more about the the times where you're not feeling disabled enough for the the label I think that I because there are times or like I pass right I pass as an abled body person or Mm -hmm. maybe I mask well enough I don't know how we want to phrase it but I currently work in a kitchen doing physical labor. Given I can only do it for myself three days a week, and then a lot of days after, like today, I worked two days before, I'm horizontal the entire day. I don't think anybody knows that. (laughs) But, you know, I do, right? And then, and I guess I feel bad not like maybe not like I don't know it's not that if uh, firstly I was going to say I feel bad that I don't advocate enough in those able-bodied spaces Hmm. for disabled people but if anybody ever said anything in those spaces I would definitely say something I like I I checked that with myself but like Hmm. I don't know I just like felt bad that like there's that I was take that I was taking that label, but also getting to do things that like I don't know. I was gonna say get to do things that disabled people don't get to do, but like that doesn't make any sense because like disabled people come in like all di- different shapes and sizes, right? Like yeah, exactly. That's, that's a really one... fucked way of me thinking about what disability is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I won't say that it's it's fucked, but I I wonder if there maybe is like some internalized ableism going on there about because I oh, totally I don't, I'm yeah sure. I think about I I feel like sometimes queer culture is a little bit more I guess well defined than disabled culture. Mm-hmm. I don't you feel the same way, and there's sure. this thing in queer culture where it's like if you're worried if you're queer enough you're queer enough <laughs> like there's no really yeah there's no there's no queer enough there's no 
lesbian enough or gay enough you there's it's like a if you think you're yeah but there's so much gatekeeping in the queer community oh yeah but like that's the <laughs> shitty bit <laughs> it's yeah. not like the um i guess i i tend to hang out with i suppose the queers as in like the ones that don't identify necessarily with any sort of like specifically like lesbian or gay terminology so there's i guess mm-hmm. the people i spend time with that are perhaps less likely to gatekeep but i suppose i was seeing some analogs with that whole you know if you mm-hmm. worried about being disabled enough to take up space in the disability community you're you're probably disabled enough enough yeah thank you for saying that i think that is just kind of or maybe sometimes I don't, I'm just scared I'm like not advocating enough for people. Or maybe sometimes I'm like, I'm I'm scared that because I get to be around disabled, I mean, get to be around able-bodied people a lot, mm-hmm. that I'm like betraying the disabled community by not like, advocating and being in spaces where like I could like be otherwise spending time doing that you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean and it's it's definitely valid um as a member of the disabled community I can on behalf of myself (laughs) I'm gonna speak for everyone right now (laughs) everyone on behalf of myself I can Mm. tell you um that I do not feel betrayed by I mean you're currently sitting recording a podcast to share your own story as a disabled person after sharing nine other episodes of other people's stories I and I don't think I I don't know how other people feel but I don't think being disabled requires advocacy you're advocating for your whole body all the time Mm. like I I mean it's awesome and great to advocate on behalf of other people but if all you've got energy to do in a day is to advocate for yourself then that's completely fine yeah I think I think that's for me that's definitely just always been something that is hardwired into me whether it was like understanding disability culture and kind of like what people who are disabled are going through whether it's kind of like first understanding things about like systemic racism or about like house houselessness and stuff like for some reason I've always really just like been like I can fucking do more like I can always fucking be doing more because I obviously yes um like I'm disabled and non-binary and a person of color but I've also like had a lot of privileges in my life right I um, grew up in a western country which is a huge privilege in itself and the way like resources are directed in the on the globe like we get to enjoy a lot of things that are pretty much from a system of exploitation mm-hmm. and um I also, to this day, still kind of get to have financial support from my parents when I need it. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know that is so not the case. Like, I know that, like, it's, it's hard for me. And I, you know, when I'm in a pinch, like, someone will help me. And it's still hard for me. Like, I can only fucking imagine how hard it is when I, people don't have that social safety net. And when I know that exists, it's really hard for me to, like, just advocate for myself and then, like, be in an industry that is, like, mostly able-bodied or, like, just, you know, separate myself and not be in the community, whether it is advocating for, like, because all of actually all of these issues kind of intersect, right? Like houselessness, systemic racism, disability, they all play into each other, right? Like it just, it doesn't make sense for me. And it's not, I cannot give myself a pass. Like, I don't really care. That's okay. Like if people need to give themselves a pass, however other people need to be is Mm -hmm. totally amazing. Like I have no judgment or 
time to care about how other people want to carry out their lives because that's totally valid it's not it's not up to me to decide right but for Mm -hmm. me knowing that the privileges that I do have and already how fucking hard it is and how existential it is and how like fucking whatever it is for me like I can only and and the fact that I can only imagine is already a privilege. The fact that I can only imagine and have to just take time to imagine it, and I don't even have to like be forced to experience this, is like mm-hmm. an intense privilege. And like I cannot just do. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yes, I have. I do have a, a question. There. Yeah. What is enough? What would enough look like? Oh, <laughs> good question, George Lou. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just, um, it's never enough. And I, I'm trying to balance that drive in a healthy way because I like that about myself. I like, it's a passion of mine like people Mm. like if we are on this thinking ship then I just hope that um I can make people feel calm and comfortable like if if I can do that I like I don't really know where our world is going I don't really know and I'm fucking terrified Mm. but I guess in that conclusion I've decided that like as I still live and breathe and can have influence on other people, I'm trying, I try to be like nice and kind at the, at the very, at the very fucking least, you know, but yeah, I, I, that is a really good question because like, so right now I'm, so I've spent like a decade doing kind of like logistic work or making events and stuff in the kind of political and art realm doing certain stuff in disability and certain community advocate stuff in my past and I currently want to work in a kitchen I want to cook I've kind of decided that but I feel like that is really selfish in some ways like because I really like it and it doesn't unless I I don't think that it yeah, I don't know, because it doesn't, I don't know, I feel really selfish about wanting to do that. Or I don't think that I will just cook, because I don't think I can. I don't think I can not spend my time making things or doing things that I feel like continue to spread knowledge and advocate for, you know, people who are, you know, not doing so well or could do be do, could be doing better in our systems in our world right mm. but like it yeah it's been like a kind of debate in my mind because cooking is something that I really enjoy and is something that is really calming for me that I've that I've realized but it doesn't I've literally spent the last 30 years this is this is a huge personality trait of mine to like want to do this and want mm. to like help people and whatever and it feels it's it's been a bit of a journey to like understand how to like love myself or do do something for myself in this way. Have you heard that that phrase the the an empty jug can't pour phrase? Uh-huh. It, I maybe cooking is how you fill your jug. But I'm scared that like it'll take so much of my time and I won't have time to like do the other stuff. You know, I mean, are you currently recording a podcast? Shut up, George Lou. <laughs> you don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'll stop. Um, I don't. Oh God, I can never remember sayings. I wanted to say say like, I'll stop beating that horse. Is that the phrase? I think so. Beating a dead horse. Yeah, but that sounds so violent. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds right. Um, But anyway, I'll stop. You know, repeating. No, don't. It's like, Um, and and I suppose because we're talking about the podcast, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the the last question. Mm. 
about the plans for this podcast. You've reached your 10th episode, mm-hmm. um, your 10 episodes of, of disability advocation. Advocation is, is the right word, I think. Um, what is the what are the plans? Do you have any plans for this? Um, actually, this is where I wanted to have more of like a dialogue with you because I'm interested in knowing what you think. Because so I obviously still want to be mostly speaking to people of color mm-hmm. and like hearing stories and learning and expanding. But I feel like there have been like events or people who are white that I want to learn from. And I kind of like, and I wonder, like, I wonder if that's okay. If I'm like, if I, if I also speak to white people (laughs) 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 to be blunt about it, you know, because I'm like, this could be useful. Like if this is like, kind of geared towards and for people of color like obviously I think the questions would still be geared towards that way but it's kind of like clearly there is so much more structure in certain disability community like disabled communities that are more predominantly white that could Mm -hmm. be that we could learn from or we could benefit from like certain things that they're already doing that I want to I want to know but like part of me feels like I shouldn't because I was like, oh, this is for and by people of color, you know? And like, but then I was like, this is, this is mine. I don't, I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I think that the most important thing to do is to define like, what do you want to get from this podcast? Mm. And if you can still get that thing while inviting white guests, yeah, then then do it and like I don't know you can find a way to balance it like let's say you say you always want it to be a majority yeah of POC guests right you can keep that as a rule to yourself um you can invite white guests in conversation with POC guests so that the room is always majority the room in inverted commas Mm -hmm. is always majority POC like I think there's a way of of doing it and still holding space for like the main purpose of of the vision um mm-hmm. but no i don't think it means that you can't invite white guests especially if like as you say you feel that they can contribute to what you want which is to share knowledge and experience with poc disabled people yeah and i also i'm just the sometimes the way i think about it is like i'm a poc and if i learn something from it then i can then gain knowledge to then give to or like give or create for like more geared towards like POC dis- disabled culture or kind of community exactly. yeah but that's kind of I think that's kind of the plan I want to I think that I should as you say kind of think about kind of what the goals are more we were talking about in the second episode we, we had with you mission statements very corporate but probably quite useful yeah um but yeah just to continue to do it and continue to do it at my own pace like I want to I don't want to be overwhelmed by the fact that like okay this like this episode if it comes out quick maybe like it would have been four months since the last like the last times I, I posted an episode was in February we're currently recording in May who knows when this is going to come out right mm. but I want to be not discouraged by the fact that it's so infrequent that maybe like I won't have a listener base or whatever and treat mm. it as if like I believe my core belief is that archiving a conversation itself is important and has value whether for myself or for other projects I want to be doing in the future as kind of like a look, I can have these conversations and I have this knowledge base, you know, like, and to just keep doing it, even if it's slow and to, yeah, because I think that I have felt quite discouraged that like, if I'm not doing it in a way that is like, you know, in the format of podcasts and putting it out, like, every week and having a social media plan and blah, 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 Mm. then I shouldn't do it. Mm. But like, I want to just inherently feel that me at the core having these conversations is important. And if I have the energy to do all that other stuff, 
then that's great but like want to just feel okay you know being just just recording conversations <laughs> and I, I feel like that is part of disability culture that you know I can't, I can't remember your phrasing but it's like I don't you know do it slow but just yeah. do it like even if it's really slow and you've got to take gaps and breaks that is part and parcel of being disabled sometimes maybe we can't keep up with doing it once a week with as you say the whole uh, social media plan where you have to post every day at the same time or at the optimal time for the audience to see your thing you know like you're making something it's so hard because even in like disability social media there's such a high fucking output and it's such a struggle so overwhelming but I just want to believe that even if it's the com- a complete selfish endeavor and that this is just going to benefit me in my life that I've had these conversations with people mm. I have these like <clears throat> wonderful nuggets like recorded that that's going to be enough for me to keep going like yeah and I think it's important to have that to have like a a thing that you know in yourself that even if this doesn't you know become super successful and, and blah 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 it's still worth it for me as an individual I mean I can tell you already that it's helped me so you've, you've at least helped another yeah. person yeah. there are more but like I yeah I, I think that's the right way of looking at it to make things sustainable like you know why you're doing it for you yeah as well I have to I just I have so many projects like running in my head in so many different fields and I just I'm also coming to terms with the fact that I'm just not I and obviously again this is a privilege in a certain ways but I'm just not a money-driven person I don't I have all of these ideas I want to do all these projects I have no fucking idea how to make money and I (laughs) am kind of fine with that like I just I'm interested in people and experiences on this earth and in this life like there's really no guarantee how long I'm going to get to do it for this 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 gig in this meat sack so fucking whatever I don't know (laughs) I also would like to take this time for thank to thank you for fucking doing this it's not I've also obviously been on the other end and it's like not easy and fucking thank you for doing it you did a great job Thank you for inviting me. I was uh, <laughs> I was getting increasingly worried that I like I don't think I realized I don't I've never recorded something like this before. So thank you for as in like where I am asking the questions. And so um I guess this is my interviewer virginity. Debut. Or, debut. Debut, yes, that that. Um so yes, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Well, that was the episode. No matter if you've heard all 10 or if this is really your first episode, I really hope that it was valuable or at least in some ways enjoyable for you. Thank you for all of the guests who have come on to this podcast so far. Being on the other side and getting interviewed this time, I'm really having a new appreciation of how freaking gutsy it is to say your truth. I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous to have a whole episode where you guys got to hear just about my thoughts and my feelings. With that said, I'm really looking forward to making more of this podcast and letting it morph and change into what feels right for me. Seriously, seriously, thank you. Okay, I'm sending love and honoring how your mind and your body has decided to show up today. Bye for now.